from across the globe. From the centre of aerospace. And now to you. Thank you for downloading the Aero Society podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. I've kept this, uh, or tried to pitch this presentation, I've kept the mass out of it. The mass of this thing is mind-scrambling. Um, so this is purely descriptive. Um, if equations come in, there's probably about three of them. I'll apologise for those in advance to people who don't like them. They're not particularly frightening ones, and they're nothing to do with stabilisation. Um, I haven't got all the answers right on this project yet. It's a work in progress, uh, but it's showing quite a lot of promise. Anyway, let's proceed. So why and what? Um, we pay a terrible price for making our aircraft stable. As Bill suggested... With a tailless aircraft, you either reflex the foil or you sweep it or you do both or you extend the tip cord and you offload the tips a little bit. If we bolt other things to it, like fuselages and tailplanes, again, there's a trim drag penalty. It all saps the beautiful, fantastic, quite unearthly performance of aerofoils and turns them into something quite mundane. Um, that's a little bit of a red rag to me, so hence the experiment. Um, this is all about stability and control of statically unstable configurations. Uh, if you use a conventional high-performance aerofoil, it will be highly cambered. It'll load the cord fairly hard towards the back of the foil as well. Uh, so it will always have a negative pitching moment. Um, if you try and balance that simply by moving the centre of mass of the aircraft, you'll move behind the critical point, which is the aerodynamic centre, and it will become unstable, although you've just balanced the trim forces. You have not got, you've got, sorry, you've got balance but not equilibrium. Um, the other thing, I'm a crusty grey-haired engineer, so I'm not a great fan of applying a lot of sensors to a control problem when I don't need to because the next thing you then have to do is signal process, then you have to power up an actuator, then finally you do something, then there's something you're trying to control responds, and it feeds back, process repeats. And this is why fly-by-wire control systems on many early attempts at doing fly-by-wire, this is why they tended to go to analogue systems for the last control function, because it speeded the process up. What's a perfect low-drag aircraft... Simply, it's an elliptical wing. Now, some will take issue with that and say, what about non-planar, um, winglet arrays? There are reasons why that's not the most efficient thing to do, which I'll come on to in a moment. Um, you want no sweep, because as soon as you sweep, you're placing the wingtips into a different flow regime to the root, which means you then have to twist the wing, which means you then restrict its speed range, over which, the speed range over which it's efficient. If you slow down, the tips then become overloaded. If you speed up, the tips are underloaded. Um, the plan form efficiency of an elliptically loaded lifting line, not, a, not actually a, an elliptical wing, is 100%. Um, it's all based on lifting line theory from, well, First World War. The lifting line efficiency, which um, we define as the ratio of the span to the length of the wing projected onto the front, front view, is 100%. The wing is working all at the same efficiency, so it is, you're getting the best possible use out of the lineal run of wing. With the real aerofoils, there's a theoretical condition which pilots are taught that um, at the best glide, the induced drag is equal to the parasitic and profile drag. That's only true if you have a constant drag coefficient, 
um, and no limits on lift coefficient. For a real aerofoil, that's not the case. And in fact, uh, you hit the aerofoil lift-to-drag ratio as the limiting condition with an infinite aspect ratio. <coughs> aerofoil performance limits. Um, there's the Liebeck foils, for example, have achieved lift-drag ratios of around about 350. So there's a long way to go. This is uh, just trying to close down any discussion of non-planar wings so I don't get shot during Q&A. Um, I picked on the ring wing because the sums are easy and there's nice analytical expressions for the uh, planform efficiency, uh, the Oswald efficiency factor. Oh, sorry, on that. Um, that one there. Um, it's very simply based on momentum theory. If we take the... It's the amount of... The, the, the mass of air influenced by the wing as it passes through. With the straight wing, that uh, mass of air is equivalent to a tube of air, a, a cylindrical tube of air of a diameter equal to the wingspan. If we go to a ring wing, it's the area inside the loop plus the circular tube. So span times height divided by 4, plus pi b squared over 4, all divided by the simple straight lifting line. And that is always greater than 100%. If height equals span, it has a planform efficiency of 2, 200%. If you use the correct chordal distribution and you twist it correctly, note that that limits your speed range again. Um, the lifting line efficiency, however, is fairly dire because you've got all this exposed lifting line for the same amount of lift. So uh, it's the span divided by the distance around the loop, which is always going to be considerably less than 100%. So if you want a high-performance glider, you don't want a non-planar wing. Um, if you want minimum sink, minimum power, a non-planar wing makes sense because the lifting capability of the wing can becomes more dominant than the induced drag term. The price of practicality. Um, a wing that look, an aircraft that looks like that is not a practical aeroplane, or it wasn't until I um, made that. Um, <coughs> elliptically loaded, li loaded wing, span loading. Stick a pod in the middle of it. The first thing you do is that. This is the um, Antichrist version of a winglet. Um, that kills about a minimum of 7% off the effective aspect ratio for most aircraft, usually considerably more, often 15 or 20%. So you don't want to do that. If we stick a tail on it, it gets even worse because you've now got trim forces plus additional surface. These need to have enough area to work. They need to be far enough away to do something useful. So we've gone from a maximum glide ratio in excess of 100 for this down to about 60 if we chuck a pod in and manage to stabilise it with a real aerofoil down to probably, I know some sailplanes can do better, but let's say typically 40 for if we bung fuselage and tail on. And I haven't drawn an aspect ratio proportional to these performance figures because I hadn't got a big enough piece of paper. So. Right, price of stability. Starting off again with the ideal condition, the ellipse. If we go reflexed, what we're doing is we're casting some of the aerofoil. We're making the aerofoil deliberately less effective as a lifter because we want to have a lower loading aft. We're trying to get pitch-positive response. 
You can only do that for the same speed and the same span loading by adding area, which you then got to drag through the sky. This, of course, is exactly what aspect ratio is all about. Aspect ratio has nothing to do with induced drag. It's all about not towing extra surface around for a given wingspan and a given span loading. If we sweep it, it gets even worse because you still want to offload the tips for stability, so you're still adding area, but now you're twisting it as well because this is in the upwash field induced by the root, which means that you need significant washout, which means as soon as you change incidence or change speed, you're no longer got an op- you can have an elliptical span loading on this at one speed only. The ideal. Um, a high-performance aerofoil, as I said before, negative pitching moment. I'm yet to see a really high-performance one with anything else other than a negative pitching moment. Straight elliptically loaded wing. You want the minimum possible adverse impact of putting a payload onto it, and you don't want anything else on there. The ideal is just a wing on its own, magically flying stably. So what do we need for this? Um, Clearly a control system, but it's a stabilisation system. To stabilise the wing with a static margin, a negative static margin, as a fraction of mean aerodynamic cord, that's consistent with the ideal centre of pressure location of a high-performance aerofoil. You want the centre of pressure at the design point to align with the centre of gravity, which means typically up to 10% unstable. Now, there have been many experiments and some aircraft now that use fly-by-wire systems for agility reasons and to reduce uh, drag which fly with some degree of instability, about 6 or 7% is fairly common. 10% is really pushing it. It's very, very unstable. Um, we need to move the flap continuously to keep the apparent aerodynamic centre, not the geometric aerodynamic centre, which is always the mean quarter cord, well behind the actual aerodynamic centre. Because, of course, we've got a centre of pressure. That's where we want the effective or the virtual aerodynamic centre to be. So we've got to have a very, very energetic flap moving to keep it there. You need to do that right across the wingspan as well because other if you don't, you're going to get dents in the span loading, which means you're going to increase induced drag. This was my very first experiment, and we're going back quite a long way now. This was when I was a fairly recent graduate in 1984. Um, Unfortunately, I'm not a fairly recent graduate anymore. Um, but I've now got time to play around with experiments again, which is a good thing. Um, the idea, it was inspired loosely by uh, Paul McCready's uh, Gossamer series of aircraft when they had problems with directional control. And they had the idea of building this large, stable, or more or less stable, tailless aircraft, but to guide it around the corners. The canard was a little aeroplane, stable in its own right, pulling it around the course. I thought, let's try this only instead of worrying about steering, I'll worry about pitch control. So if I make oh, if I make this into a super, super pitch-stable small aircraft, can I then pivot it at its uh, aerodynamic, the, the neutral point of this little aeroplane on its own, dangle this much larger wing behind it and guide it along um, and make the thing controllable? It had a little following tab. It's pivoted around about there. There's a coupling rod there. So you can see there's a gear ratio between this arm here and that arm there. 
that was locked with friction, so you could trim it. It's tied to this component here, but you could move it for trim adjustment. So as we pitch this, if we increase angle of attack, this is going to trail, which means it's going to follow an angle a bit like this. The flap is going to come down, pushing it a little bit further, applying a corrective moment. And there's a lot of things wrong with that. Firstly, it's slow. You're waiting for it to cart all this lot around a corner and then go a bit further before it applies a correction. Um, there was a mass balance there because as the aircraft pitches up violently, you want to encourage it, this to pitch in opposition. So it needs to be mass balanced at or ahead of its pivot point. Um, I gave it forward sweep because at the time the um, X-29 experimental aircraft in the States had just come out and I rather like the look of it. Um, yeah, styling. Um, did it work? Uh, yes. Not very satisfactorily. It used to porpoise really badly and it was clearly quite divergent and there was backlash in these links. There was also flow separations going on which is probably the only reason why it flew. There were non-linearities coming in that damped it. I didn't expect it to fly at all, um, so I was a little bit startled and sort of slightly set back when it did. It had no dihedral and it had forward sweep, so it was prone to peeling off to one side or the other. Obviously built very accurately because it would crash to the right as easily it was, as it would crash to the left. Um, so I started thinking, I was doing other things, um, like learning to hang glide, so I started to think about other things, but um, I started to wonder about the lateral control aspects as well which led to the second experiment, which is the one that Bill mentioned from Earl Warden, which was this. Um, this was a span of seven inches. The rudder has a transparent tab on the back. It's not a rudder at all. It's um, a servo vane. It's deliberately unbalanced. It was not mass-balanced either, which caused a little bit of oscillation, but not too badly. It had a CO2 motor there, um, the propeller was, uh, I think it was about, the propeller was about 70, about, I think it was about 70% of the wingspan, so a massive torque reaction to deal with. So there was, a, there was no side thrust or down thrust or anything, the whole thing was built straight because that was the point of the experiment. The reason you can see all these battle scars should be fairly obvious. Um, it wasn't, you know, you can see there, it did do a few sort of extreme cartwheels on occasion. I didn't worry too much about fine finish because I didn't think it was going to last more than its first day of testing. Um, it was tested in private in the dark because I didn't any want anyone to see it because it was embarrassing potentially. You'll notice the canopy, I abraded the inside because I thought the pilot won't want to see out. Written, Don't panic on it or something. Um, launch was quite interesting. CO2 motors don't like high power settings. This thing, because it's such a small aircraft and actually quite heavy, it did need quite a high power setting. The launch technique was uh, take a couple of steps and bowl it like a cricket ball. Um, it would oscillate at about that sort of rate, typically. But the interesting thing, which I didn't see coming, was it was damped. Um, the first time it got a really good outing was when Bill met it at Old Warden. And on one occasion, well, the first occasion when it really went right, and that was when I just adjusted the tab here to get everything absolutely symmetric, it stabilised at about maybe 40 or 50 feet and just headed straight out to the road where it crashed in front of a car. Um, it survived. Um, but I was very pleased with that experiment and a little bit astonished because there were no maths went into this at all. It was a complete experiment, a pure guess. Um, I had a gut feeling it might do something interesting. I didn't expect it to actually do something as interesting as fly. 
Right, the basics of the pitch problem, which is deceptively difficult. Any equation of motion has three terms. There's an acceleration term with the coefficient, a rate term, which is pitch rate, theta dot, and there's a displacement term, positional. Then you have a balancing term. You add them all up. If all is good, they total zero. You must account for every term in any control system. Um, I'm trying to do this purely mechanically with simple aerodynamic inputs. The reason I'm doing that is because the aerodynamic sensing is the actuation. I've removed the processing delay. I've removed the actuated delay. More of that in a moment. We want a sensing tab to work out what it's doing. Um, you can think of all sorts of crazy locations in which to put a tab. Um, broadly, it comes down to on the CG, ahead of the CG, or behind the CG. If we go ahead of the CG, let's imagine there's a pitch up. So the wing is rotating in this direction. So we've got an induced draft going this way, which will depress the vane. That's the theta dot term. If it's not mass balanced, in other words, if it's uh, underbalanced, then the inertia will cause it to come down as well. So we've got theta dot and theta double dot, pitch rate and pitch acceleration, both going in the same direction. Unfortunately, we've added incidence to it, which means a draft's now coming from there. So the displacement turns in the opposite sense. So if we're going to put a vein out the front, it can be done, but we won't be able to do the whole job with a single vein. If we go at the back, they're now all in the same direction. So that appears to be the prime place to put the vein. But, and it's quite a serious but, is that this is now in a very, very strongly influenced flow field from the wing. If we rotate the wing dynamically, we have a Magnus component. The wing is rotating, just like a rotating cylinder. If you imagine a molecule traversing this as it pitches, if that was a flat surface pitching, remember, and I mean flat, no camber, if a molecule meets it at the leading edge and traverses, it's going to follow an arc. So that's the origins of the Magnus lift term. That's a transient while it's actually rotating. Um, there's also lift change functions. If you increase the incidence of a foil, you change the vorticity, the circulation around the aerofoil. Sorry, wrong direction, that way. Every time you change circulation, you, lose a bit, you create an equal and opposite circulation that disappears back into the wake, the starting vortex. Um, so this is very important in aeroelastic studies. We get the Wagner and the Kussner effects, which allow for the influence of this departing vortex and its induced flow on the wing. It's traversing that little vein. It fades off into the wake, but this thing is always potentially moving, which means there's always something going on. The other problem is that if the vein's here, it's experiencing what the air's doing before it hits the wing. Here, everything is after the fact, so there's always a slight delay in function of this vein versus what's happening here. And that does cause some significant problems. It makes the analysis of this incredibly complex. Um, I haven't got half the answers yet. It's very much a work in progress. It's showing some promise, but there's a long way to go. Um, if a university group felt like having a really mind-scrambling design problem, I'd recommend it. This is a comment I've received a few times from other engineers I work with, that it's doing the same job as fly-by-wire, so why don't you get rid of all this nasty aeromechanical nonsense and just put in a nice little computer and a nice little actuator and stop worrying. 
this is why. This is the fly-by-wire version. We've got a weight on a stick, which is going to be balanced. It's pivoted here. So what we've got is a positional sensor. If it starts to fall over, we know it. We've got a powered cart with an accelerometer. If it starts to tumble, this is going to zoom off in this direction and get it back, and vice versa if it zooms off in the other direction. What's happening here? We're sensing displacement, probably an acceleration and a rate as well. We're then processing that signal. The signal processing is deciding what it wants the actuator, the power to do. It's doing it. Then we're getting feedback in response, process repeats. That is active control. That is fly-by-wire. This is what I'm doing. It's simply stable. And I'm not there yet, but that's the potential. Because the sensing, in this case, if we rock it, the contact point moves out automatically. That provides the restoring force, so the sensing is the restoring force. So sense equals signal, process equals actuation, and it equals feedback, and that's a pretty good definition of stability. So this is not active stability when it's right, and it's not right yet, but when it is right, it's stability. There's nothing artificial or active about it. It's just purely stability. Um, that's leading in a direction that's quite complex. Um, being a fairly grey-haired engineer, I like to simplify things. So let's start out with something that's un unquestionably stable, which is a dart. So we've got veins at the back and a weight at the front. If you lob it, I don't think anyone's going to argue that that's just going to do its stuff. It might oscillate a bit, but there's no question that's generally going to go in one direction, straight downwards ultimately, but it's absolutely stable. I don't want it to go downwards, I want it to go along. So I'm going to strap a wing to it to create a, f a lift force. But it's a free pivoting wing because I want the dart to carry on behaving like a dart. So there's no feedback at the moment between this and this. If the wing is not stable in its own right, it's going to go a little bit wild. It's going to do something unusual and something undesirable. So I want to put some feedback in between this and the position of the wing, which is quite simple. Tie a link from here to here with appropriate gearing and we've now got the potential for it to sense what's going on here. We've got this mass ahead of the centre of gravity. We've got these veins behind it. So we've got all, we're satisfying the requirements of vein position. We're satisfying mass balance with this. So the inertial response is stable. The rate response will be stabilising or damping. The displacement response will be damp damping. Um, after building more complex models, that's actually probably the model that should be built by somebody who wants to play with this just out of curiosity. Um, but don't be fooled. It only looks simple. The, the analysis of a thing like this with a real wing in front of a tab is far from straightforward. Let's make it practical now. So we'll convert our um, aeromechanical dart into something a bit more like an aircraft. So let's break the dart in two, take this down and turn it into a trailing vane. We'll break the weight off, pivot it up the front. What's happening to that? There we go. Tie them together with a link, which replaces the... It's uh, misbehaving. I think the battery's going flat. Um, we've tied the two together to replace the shaft of the, of the dart. Um, added a control to a trailing edge flap to provide the feedback, which replaces the function you can see up here. 
Um, some aerodynamic balance won't go amiss because there's only limited power available from a small vane. I want that vane to be as small as I can possibly get away with, which means I don't want to put a lot of force or control power into this. So air can leak through these gaps, which means an internal tongue provides a perfectly adequate aerodynamic balance because you haven't got much flow going on in there. Um, you put a mass balance on there as well. That's now um, a viable device, and you can fare this stuff in if needs be. Um, it's a conceivable aircraft concept rather than just a, a concept. So I made one, which is this. Um, it's carrying... Move to this now. It's carrying a mass balance in here geared to this. This is The, the mass balance is pivoted to move rather more than the tab because I'm trying to keep the weight down. Um, it's directly attached to the full-span trailing elevon. It's also got uh, the roll function, the roll yaw function, which you saw on the little um, chuck it and hope model. Um, it's not a particularly good aircraft at the moment. It's going in the right direction. I can make this one fly at about 10% unstable. It's happier at about 5%. Um, there is so much going on in this. I need to do some far more detailed math, math modelling, but it's, uh, I say, it's probably one of the more difficult aeronautical problems I've looked at over the years. Um, if we look at a bit more detail. Um, the mass balance needs to be... It needs to be overbalanced slightly, which is... Yeah. which is why the tail's kicked up at this angle, so the weight's down there. The reason it needs to be like this is that uh, if we get a heave acceleration in this, we need to keep a permanent slight download on that element to avoid backlash. This is a small model. I can't make things this size precisely enough to get rid of all the backlash, so it's permanently loaded, permanently loaded in one direction. Um, the link to the elevons there joined here. It's straight along the 35% cord line because I was trying to balance it at the 35% line because that is 10% you know, behind the 25%, the quarter cord, so it's 10% unstable. There's uh, just a little close-up of the linkage. Um, if you yaw the vein, this pushes the elevons asymmetrical or differentially. Um, if you move them together, the elevons go together. There's a tie rod going all the way through to the balance weight of the balance mass at the front. The gear ratio between these, again, because of the downwash field the vane works in, it's about a 1.5 ratio between the movement of the vane and the movement of the elevon, with the elevon moving rather more. I don't know if I can repeat that. Um, Again, So you can see it's oscillating a little as it responds. That was in quite bubbly air. It's not flying particularly well there. Um, the fact it's flying at all is a bit of a miracle. Um, remember, what you're seeing there is an aircraft with a cambered... It's a curved plate aerofoil. I chose a curved plate because the maths are quite easy. They're deterministic functions for pitch moment and lift coefficient. Um, it's got a negative zero lift pitching moment, so there are no stabilising surfaces on there, just the vanes and the elevons. It's got anhedral for other reasons. That's to do with the way the your roll couples, but it's actually part of uh, giving it positive your stability. Um, that is borderline an impossible aircraft. That's pretty much a pure wing 
flying with no stabilisation going on. Or no passive stabilisation, it's only active. Here's a slow motion one. Oh, that's a shame, I thought it was going to be a bit smoother than that. Oh, there we go. So you can see it responding. That's, I think there's a bit of an unstable fugoid, a long period pitch mode, which you can see oscillating there. And I think that's due to the slight lag in events between the wing and the vane. Um, try again. Come on, behave. There we go. You can see the vein moving laterally as well as it corrects. Um, and it certainly tracks well. It's got very, very positive directional stability. Um, the pitch stability is improving as I work on it, but um, it's a work in progress. There's more to do. But it's clearly a viable concept with more effort. Um, now, I'm going to take my, not quite my life in my hands. Um, I've never flown this indoors. It's very, very inconsistent. It's not a good aeroplane by any stretch of the imagination. It's very, very prone to tucking and diverging. But I'm prepared to give it a go if people are prepared to duck if it comes their way. Are you okay with this? Do you want us to catch it? To save it um, I just let it bonk, basically, and then pick it up by the wing, not the tips, or the elevons, because the elevons, it's made out of very, very light balsa. It's all quite thin. So we say, pick, if it comes near you, pick it up by the body or the wing centre section. If it crunches, that's life. It's, uh, it's designed to pick up battle scars. It's a test piece. So, anyone got a problem with being hit on the head by a small model? Right. Okay. So, you never work with children, animals, or little aeroplanes? Whoop, there you go. <laughs> I think we should try again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredibly hard to... Yeah, as usual. Good aeromodelling technique. I'll give it a bit of bang, because that usually calms things down. There you go. I say, and get a sense of perspective, that is a positively cambered aerofoil, quite severely cambered. That's currently flying about 6% unstable. That's um, agile combat aircraft stuff. Um, yeah, it's in a turn, that's cheating. It's the aeromodders, the free flight aeromodders trick is if your model misbehaves, make it turn. Encore, encore, I, c I still can't well, believe it. Well, how do you think I feel? <laughs> Okay, let's try it again. I'll do a bit more bank. Well, ah! It's not, not supposed to dump itself. I'll try again. That's all right. Shouldn't do. I'm not going to try. Let's try again. They do put lecterns and things out here, don't they? It spoils it. There you go. Ah! Sorry, yeah. I say it's very, very inconsistent. If you catch the servo in the wrong position when you launch, it bites. That's all right. It's a wingtip. We can get another one when I get home. I'll try. I'll go one more shot. To, I say it's a typical recalcitrant test piece. Try again. There you go. From across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favourite social networks. If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. Visit www.aerosociety.com 
This content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.